God of my future, you write my story, you hold it all together. God of my present, God of my future, you write my story, you hold it all together. God of my present, God of my future. at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us in person as well as online today. At this time, I invite you to stand up and extend the peace of Christ to one another. Lord, show me in your ways. Teach me how to follow you. Guide me in your truth. Teach me you are God, my Savior. I put my hope in you all day long. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning. The Lamb that 
Christ has risen from the grave. Hallelujah, it is finished all to you, the highest praise. On that day of Adam's
sure many know this, uh, but some might not, that every summer here on Hardaway's campus, uh, we host a summer serve week. Nate, how long has it been summer, summer serve week been going? Almost 20 years. That's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to speak falsely. But, uh, and that's over 150 junior high students along with a group of high school leaders and loads of volunteers uh, do service work around the Lakeshore area. Was that me? Probably me. And uh, anyway, what we love to do is uh, Nate puts together a beautiful little uh, summary video to kind of give all of us an idea of what happened Summer Serve Week this year because it wouldn't happen without the donations, the volunteers. So also just a big thank you to you. But here's a little highlight video of Summer Serve Week this past year. All right. Praise God for that. Almost makes me wish I was in junior high again. Almost, almost. It's a beautiful time of life. Uh, at this time, invite the kids to come over uh, to the doors uh, over here. We're, you're going to have a wonderful time for those who are interested in children's worship, Sunday school. We're going to head over there, and then we're going to offer a blessing. I think we kind of know the drill at this point. We're going to bless them. They're going to bless us. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. We'll give a little bit of extra time. While they're heading that way, a couple of things coming up this week. Women's Ministry is hosting a beach day on Wednesday morning. And so you're going to want to check your email for that. And then in the evening, Wednesday evening, there's the Gems, Cadets, um, S'mores, and Capture the Flag. So in the morning, you can relax at the beach, come back. I'm sure if you're an adult and you want to play Capture the Flag, check that out. All right. At this point, we're together. The Lord be with you. Very good. You guys have a wonderful time in Sunday school today. All right. At this time, I invite you uh, to join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And uh, we listen now to the words of Psalm 42. The psalmist writes, As the deer pants for streams of water, Soul my, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Gracious God, we, we thank you for these words 
from your word. As we've been learning the last couple of weeks, Lord, your, your psalms are, are the songbook. Lord, you, you give us words when, when sometimes, Lord, we don't know what words to utter from our lips. Lord, we thank you for the honesty that the, the psalm expresses in this, in this song. That, Lord, our, our, our souls long for you and, and, and yet this, this confession of, of tears being our food, Lord, I, I am struck by, Lord, how often when things are going well, I confess, we confess, Lord, that when things are going well, when, when, we're, when we're living comfortably, Lord, it's easy to grow complacent. Lord, it's easy when things are going well that we believe the, the lie that, that we are the ones who create and redeem and sustain our worlds. But Lord, this is a lie. And yet we still foolishly believe that, that somehow, some way, we can make our own way in this world and we don't need you. So often, Lord, it's, it's when our worlds crumble. And as the psalm, psalmist says, when our, when our tears become our food, when those around us begin mocking you and saying, well, where is your God, Lord? It's in these moments that our hearts turn to you and, and, we, and we long and we pant and thirst for you as a deer thirsting for water. And Lord, by your grace, you meet us in our brokenness, when we, when we believe the lie that we don't need you, and Lord, you meet us in our brokenness when, when we totally know without a doubt that we can't do this life on our own. Lord, that is the grace of the gospel. That is the grace and the truth that, Lord, we all come here this morning as one body of believers, as one people worshiping you, almighty God, and we come from a variety of different circumstances in life. For some of us, Lord, today is a day filled with joy, because it's summer in West Michigan, because we, maybe we just had a, had a week away with family and loved ones and got to experience the gift of life and the gift of those you've placed in our lives. And, and Lord, we come to you, and, and Lord, we want you to remind us that we need you above all things. And so thank you for that reminder, Lord. And yet, Lord, some of us come here this morning and, and our hearts are, are broken and our hearts are frail because of the things that we're experiencing in life. Because, Lord, those that we love are hurting. Those that we love are sick, are ill. Lord, maybe for us, we're, we're, we're suffering and, and yet we're, we're able to put on a happy face, but, but inside our hearts and our souls, there's just this brokenness and this, this feeling of loneliness. Lord, your word meets us in that space as well. And your word promises, Lord Jesus, God, you, your word tells us that you are close to the brokenhearted. And so, Lord, as we come to you with our, in our brokenness and our hurts, Lord, we pray that, that you, would, you would bring healing, that you'd bring your presence to meet us in that space, that you would remind us, Lord, that no matter how alone we feel today, Lord God, there, there is the one who created the heavens and the earth who promises to be right here with us. And Lord, even when we don't feel it, Lord, the promise of your word, we lean into that promise that, 
that you tell us and you promise us that there, there is nowhere that we can go to flee from your presence. And nothing on, in heaven or on earth can separate us from the love of God the Father and Jesus Christ. We claim those promises today. We claim those promises for, for our church family, for loved ones who are going through difficult things. We, we claim those promises as we, as, we, as we recognize our call as your people to be your representatives here on earth. And so, Lord, as, as a community, but also individually, Lord, may we be people and persons of peace and love that we would spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as, as, as fall ministries kick off and, and we, we do some coordinated things to, to be that testimony, to be that light, Lord, may you fill us, may you lead us. Lord, may you convict some of us to step into new opportunities to serve. Maybe it's downstairs during, during the service for children's worship. Maybe it's serving on Wednesday nights. Lord, may you just show us how we can serve and give of ourselves, but not just here, Lord. Give us an imagination for how we can serve in our communities, in our neighborhoods, how we can be a light to love our neighbors as you've called us to love our neighbors, as we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And Lord, all this stems from the good news of the gospel, Lord. This, this good news that, that we are here this morning because a God who created the heavens and the earth loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to step into the darkness, to take on the brokenness of sin upon himself as you died on the cross, Lord Jesus, and you defeated death, you defeated brokenness, and you rose again, conquering it all. And in that gospel good news, Lord, you've made a way for us to experience life both now and forevermore, even in the darkest moments that we might experience. And so, Lord, we claim that promise. We claim that promise for our church family. We claim that promise for individuals, but we also claim, claim that, that the church of Jesus Christ would be that living testimony in our country and in our world, Lord, which is in turmoil, it seems. And we do that, Lord, all in the hope that one day the promise that you offer, that one day, Jesus Christ, you will come again and you will make all things new. And Lord, this is good news, that justice will come, that you will reign, and we will gather as your people. Lord, we thank you for this good news. We thank you for your word, which meets us in our need. And we pray now, Lord, as we, as we listen to your word, that you would continue to form us and shape us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, who is our Savior, who is our friend. And God's people say together, amen and amen. I forgot to say good morning. Good morning. And uh, I... Uh, I don't normally wear a, a suit coat, and maybe some of you are like, what happened? Um, I got a haircut this week, and I just thought I'd, that's not it. No, I, I uh, had the privilege this morning of, of preaching uh, over at Celebration next door, and uh, no costume change next necessary. This is me. Okay. So no matter, if you want to wear a suit coat, you can wear a suit coat. Next week, I'll be dressed a little more casual. If you want to wear that, you can dress more casual. There you go. We're all welcome. We're all covered in the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, now that we got my wardrobe out of the way and answered those questions, uh, let's, let's jump in. We are nearing the end of our summer series, Everyday Wisdom. So for the whole summer, we've been studying the Proverbs. If you remember la the last two weeks, uh, we, we, we stepped away from the book of Proverbs but looked at some other books in, in the wisdom literature of Scripture, uh, particularly the book of Job. 
uh, as well as the book of Ecclesiastes last week. Those are important voices as we think about wisdom because as we read the Proverbs, there's these what sound like promises, but they're really probabilities. Like if you fear the Lord, if you live in wisdom, then things are generally going to go well for you, which is true. Like God has created this order in this world. And yet Ecclesiastes and Job say, well, not all the time. And our experience tells us that. And so those are just incredibly helpful voices. But today we, we return to the book of Proverbs. And for the next three weeks, we're really going to be focusing on, on, on how the, the, the Scripture and the Bible understands and talks about the heart. We're going to talk about the heart. And we're going to introduce this biblical word today, this idea today, and then explore the heart's desires today. So that's really our focus. That we're going to land the desires of the heart. Uh, and then in the following weeks, we're going to continue this conversation about the heart. We're going to talk about temptation next week and then end with talking about emotions and how do emotions serve our purposes of wisdom, God's purposes of wisdom in our lives. Again, a reminder, the book of Proverbs is not a linear work. Right, So we can't just find the section in Proverbs on the heart and just gather all these things and just you know, systematically work our way through a text. Instead, uh, it's more like a tapestry. Right? And the books of wisdom are kind of this tapestry of, of words of wisdom and these Proverbs that are kind of woven together to create this, this beautiful tapestry of wisdom. And so today, this morning, we're going to be jumping around a bit in the book of Proverbs. So if you have a Bible with you, whether that's a physical Bible or maybe an app on your phone, uh, feel free to open that up. We're going to be jumping around. But if you don't want to do that, they are going to be on the screen, the text as well. So... We're going to read and we're going to start with Proverbs chapter 11, verse 6, and then we're going to jump ahead to Proverbs 19. If you're willing, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Again, Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 6 reads, The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Then Proverbs 19, verses 2 and 3. Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word continues to speak wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge. And God, we pray that uh, your wisdom would teach us, mold us, shape us this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen. I might grab a handheld mic. There we go. We could try this, or I can go. I think my wife would tell me that my pants are too tight. But uh, that's not for you to hear, but too late. Is it working? I'm just going to go. I'm, I might just go here. Is that safer? You tell me, Rich. I'll just go here. All right. Check, check, check. Whoa, what's going on? Check, check. I think I'm in the monitors, but maybe not the house. All right. Very good. Thank you. Sorry, Ridge. Being a sound guy, you know, there's no, no one notices you until, and I said your name on a live stream. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. Here we go. 
Yeah, this morning we are talking about desires of the heart. Um, I don't know, do, you, do these mantras sound familiar to you? Um, follow your heart. You heard that? That kind of modern mantra? Uh, if it feels good, do it. Yeah. Words of wisdom, right? Maybe not. The heart wants what it wants. I think that's a quote from Emily Dickinson, I think, I found. These are some of the mantras of our, of our modern world. And as I was thinking about some of these mantras, like this is this is wisdom, like this is this is something that should guide your life, follow your heart. I began thinking about my kids, and I began thinking if my kids were to follow this road, and we were to kind of participate with them, and to and to allow them to follow their desires to its fullest extent, uh, this is what would happen. My daughter on the on the right there loves dogs. Uh, more than anything in the world. Honestly, I think she loves dogs maybe more than us. Uh, she's nine years old. She even, on all of her homework assignments, she draws a little dog, a uh, little dog puppy face. She loves puppies. Um, in fact, we go to the, the Thursday street performers. Have you guys been to the street performers Thursday night? One, one of the beautiful things to do in Holland. And uh, we don't actually go for the street performers, as wonderful and lovely as they are. We go in order for our kids to find and pet as many dogs and puppies that are walking around downtown Holland. Anyone else? And uh, it's great for us because then they become the person who asks. Uh, it's Anyway, and so we get to meet all these cool dogs too. But anyway, she loves dogs. I, I think about my five-year-old Bryson who's, who's there. Uh, not so much the beautiful jersey he's wearing. We'll get on that later. Uh, but it's more the, uh, the, the ring pop in his hand. He is five and he's obsessed with candy. Uh, anyone else relate to this? Yeah, just he asks for candy, honestly, like a dozen times a day. And it's always no no, no, you can't have candy, you can't have candy. And then he tries this, like, I'm going to use this, like, cute face thing and kind of looks up. Daddy, can I have candy? You know, it's like, try that with someone else. That's not going to work on me. In fact, we were, on the, we were driving home yesterday, and, and they, he's asking for candy, and I said, instead of saying no, I said, I said, well, maybe. Maybe? Emmy, maybe. What does that mean? Maybe? You know, it's anyway, and he got some candy. But anyway, he's obsessed with candy. And it's easy for me to like point to, about my kids, be like, yeah, they got these desires that lead them toward unhealthy things, and they can't, it's out of control, and it's, it's not in check. And then I think about my own life, right? And I think about my, my, own, my own following of my own desires. And these are some lighthearted ones, but I, I, I talk about my sports. Uh, allegiance is way too much. I'm going through my photo, uh, my photo stream or whatever, and I realize how many times I've taken pictures of my kids wearing sports paraphernalia. Like I'm indoctrinating my kids uh, into into Packer fandom, and anyway, I got a problem with that, right? In fact, the the, the Bucks were in the playoffs, and I couldn't even watch the games because I was so nervous and so anxious about the outcome that I'm like, I'm just not even going to watch. You know, it's an unhealthy desire that I just want them to win so badly. The picture on the right, um, this past week, Yvonne and I had the opportunity to get away uh, for a couple days without kids. And so that's on the shores of Lake Michigan in Leland. So Leland All Peninsula, and there's a beach just north of town, uh, the North Beach or something. I don't even know if it has a name. But I, Yvonne's like, all right, it's time to go. And do you know what I'm doing? Does anyone know? I'm searching for the elusive Leland Blue. Okay, I got some people. There's like these 
Leland blue stones that are made from the slag of the eye. They're like glass. Anyway, these like brightly colored blue. And I'm just like, I find myself just obsessively like digging through the dirt, walking on these sharp rocks barefoot. Like my feet killed me the rest of the night. But I'm just so obsessed. It's like become controlling because I, I want a Leland blue, right? Which sounds kind of silly. And it kind of is. You know, we hear this language of the desires of the heart, follow your heart, and it's easy to see in our kids, you know, their obsessions with candy or dogs or whatever it is, but the truth is, for all of us, this, 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 this follow your heart, the heart wants what it wants, right? It's so part of our culture and the messaging of our culture that it becomes part of our hearts and souls as well. And we don't even, I mean, we get these kind of silly examples, you know, this grown man walking around barefoot, hurting his feet, trying to find a Leland bluestone. But we also know that there's, there's other examples that are far less lighthearted. We start following the desires of our heart, and as we do, we even get to the point where we're willing to justify satisfying those desires because that's what the heart wants. And so we start to justify just pursuing the desires of our heart. And here's the thing. The Bible has something different to say. That this, this message from our culture, that, that follow your heart, that this is the greatest good, this is kind of your moral compass, the Bible says, hold, hold, hold on a second, let me share some wisdom. And we're going to get into that in just a bit, but we're gonna, to get at it, we're going to use this language of the heart. And, and we're going to look at a biblical understanding and what does the scripture refer to when they use this word heart. This word heart is, is lev or lebav or levav. Kind of the B and the V sound are kind of interchangeable in the Hebrew language oftentimes. But this heart, which is used, this word heart in the Hebrew scriptures, it's used over 600 times. Most cases, it's, it's not referring to kind of the internal organ right, the physical heart that pumps blood throughout our cardiovascular system. Most of the time, it's not referring to that. It does refer to that in a few instances. And we see that's the same thing in the English language, right? The understanding of the word heart is broader than just the physical organ. We'll say things like, I loved her with all of my heart, or even this word, follow your heart. That's not referring to your physical organ. It's referring to your desires and passions, but let's look for a minute at the word heart, the, the physical, the emotional, intellectual, the will. The Hebrew word for heart, again, is, is lev. The, the word is, has a much broader meaning than simply the physical organ, and it stems because in the ancient world, they had a limited understanding of human anatomy. Right? They didn't understand what we understand about all the different organs and, and, and the functions of those organs. Particularly, they lacked an understanding around the, the human brain in the ancient world. And so in the ancient world, they, the belief was that it was the heart that was the center of the human person. It was believed that, 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 that the, the, the heart was the center and the control center for human emotions and feelings, but also the human will. Like where we make decisions, that's our heart. And we hear some of that carry over in the English language, right? But even beyond that, in, in the ancient Hebrew world, they also believed that the heart was where the intellect, the mind was kind of centered, Fast forward to the ancient Greek world, and there was a new category, and they used the mind, right? And so you kind of hear this, this shift in, in a millennia of time when, when the Old Testament gets translated into the Greek language, particularly, I'm thinking of Jesus, and, and Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? He's quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. 
And if you compare the Hebrew in Deuteronomy and what Jesus says, Jesus adds mind. In Deuteronomy 6, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus says heart, soul, strength, and mind. Because he's, he's adapting new language for a fuller meaning of what heart means. Does that make sense? Anyway, we're going to get into that in just a little bit, a little further, because Paul also adds some new language around desires of the heart. We're going to get there in just a minute. But first, let's talk about just the desires of the heart. Uh, we're continuing the study around the heart the next few moments. Again, we're talking about, in the next few weeks, we're talking about the desires of the heart. I think it's safe to say that we understand that sometimes our desires are good, Right? Psalm 37 says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The, the, what's implied is that sometimes our heart desires what is of God and it is good. Sometimes our heart is desiring, like, I'm longing right now for more intimacy with God in my life. That is a good desire. Amen? We could say that. Or, or I desire something, something like healing or something good for someone I love. That is, that is a good, good desire. Sometimes our desires are in line with God's will and God's best for our lives. But we also can recognize that sometimes our desires deceive us, right? Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, if you know the prophet Jeremiah, he's, he's writing during the time of exile when God's people have rebelled horrendously against God. So he understands because he's witnessed how the desires and people, the people of God following their desires can just lead them toward horrible paths. The heart is deceitful, he says. Our desires can be good for good things, but they also can, can lead us astray, Right? And so when we think about this moral framework that we live in today, follow your heart. The heart wants what it wants. If it feels good, do it. This kind of moral guidance that, you know, just follow your heart because that is the ultimate good or, or that is some sort of moral compass. It becomes a dangerous proposition. The Proverbs speak into this reality as well. Our, our moral modern paradigm promotes following your heart. And in that, then, uh, the consequence of that is, is in, our moral, in our modern framework to deny your heart or to deny or, or to abstain from your desires feels, sounds almost oppressive. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're going to not? Like, the only, the only area, I think, where this is acceptable to, to abstain from what you desire is, like, in diet and exercise. I think that's one category where our modern world is like, yeah, yeah, like, like abstain from those unhealthy foods or, or, or do the wor hard work of exercising even if you don't feel like it because it's best for your physical health. That's one area where we allow that. But, but there's so many other areas where follow your desires. If that's what you want, if that's what makes you happy, do it. And in turn, any kind of institution that, that says, you know, maybe that's not the wisest thing, there's a lot of suspicion. And so for like religious institutions, the church right now, there's a lot of suspicion. Like, what do you mean? You want me to deny my desires in these certain areas? Or there's a lot of suspicion in other authority, like government or medical bodies. Like, what do you mean? You want me to do that? Like, what? There's suspicion. Because we have this sense that we should be able to do what I want. That that's what freedom is, right? In our modern context. But Proverbs has a different take. Proverbs has a different take on how well the wor heart works as our moral compass. Our, t our text this morning, 
Proverbs 11, verse 6. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Notice two things in that text. First, desires uh, here are not assumed to be automatically or naturally good, right? That's the obvious thing. Desires in keeping with Jeremiah can be deceptive, even evil. Second, desires don't lead us to freedom. So in our modern paradigm, like, follow your heart, that's ultimate freedom, to do what I want. But in, in the book of Proverbs, notice the contrast. Righteousness offers true freedom, while evil desires are not freedom, they are a trap. Following our desires will lead us to be trapped, ensnared, or as the New Testament, Paul puts it, being a slave to sin. That's a different definition of what is freedom. Freedom is not doing whatever I want. It's doing what is best for me, right? Proverbs 19, verse 2 to 3 says this, Desires without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Uh, Again, Proverbs offers further insight. Desire without knowledge, we can fill that in, discernment, wisdom, discretion is not good. If we're not evaluating our desires, that's not good, right? When we indiscriminately follow our desires, it leads to some dangerous places potentially. Not always, right, but potentially. Again, we understand this with dieting, exercise, but its application is much broader. Consider desires for pleasure. Consider desires to pursue what we think will make us happy. When, when being a parent is hard, when, when being a spouse is difficult and you're having a rough season, if I just follow what I think will make me happy in the moment, I'm going to abandon what will make me happy long term. Are you with me? I'm guessing all of us have experienced the pain of that decision. It leads to ruin. It rages against the Lord. This language is appropriate when we think about some of the consequences that maybe we have felt deeply in our hearts and souls. The Apostle Paul expands on this idea in his letters in the early churches. The Apostle Paul speaks of the flesh versus the spirit. Remember, Paul is writing in a different context, a different language in the book of Proverbs, Greek, not Hebrew, right? Paul uses language of the mind in his letters, but he also leans into language of the flesh. Flesh can ref- the flesh can refer to several things. In the Greek, the word for flesh is sarks, which can refer to the body. It can refer to uh, humanity or ethnicity, but also can refer to our sinful nature and passions. And here's where the flesh connects with evil desires in Proverbs, or as we've been referring to disordered desires. Paul in Galatians 5 verses 16 and 17 says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do Whatever you want. We're we're not just to to do whatever we compulsively want, right? Because like a a grown man hurting his, scraping up his feet, searching for a Leland Blue, we get distracted, we get obsessed, and we we, we lose perspective in the point of why we're in Leland all in the first place, right? 
It seems pretty clear from the wisdom of the Proverbs, from the wisdom of the Apostle Paul, and to be honest, uh, an honest look at the human experience that our desires are not always good and certainly not a helpful moral compass for or highest authority to guide our decisions in our lives, both individually or as a culture or society. So here's what I want to do as we kind of near the end of our time. What I want to do is look at some of the common disordered desires uh, that capture our hearts. And here's where Tim Keller's book became really helpful. Uh, we've been using Tim Keller's uh, every like wisdom uh, devotional. The, the name is escaping me. And so each day there's a different um, topic and devotional. Uh, these four desires were from April 6th through 9th. So if you have that book and you want to read uh, Tim Keller's direct commentary, please do so. But here are four common disordered desires. And here we see the wisdom of Proverbs spans time and context because these disordered desires, um, as I was going through them, I found myself deeply convicted because these are not just ancient disordered desires. These are ones that continue to grab a hold of the human heart today. The first disordered desire is this. And for me personally, this one hits really close to home. It's the desire for approval. The desire for approval Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. For many, the heart longs for the approval of others. Like, that's a common desire. But, and for most of us, for most, that's, there's probably this healthy level of, of longing for that. But for some, it becomes the driving desire of their lives. And for me, like, this is one that, that has a hold of my heart. Like, I want I want people to approve. I, I want I don't want to let people down. I don't want to I don't want to disappoint because the greatest fear with this this desire for approval is rejection or disappointing or letting others down. And this is where like modern technology has only exasperated the problem. Social media, think about this, with the in, with kind of the invention of the like button. We can post something on social media and now we have a non-stop feedback loop of people's approval or disapproval. And if our heart is craving approval, we can just, and we get an alert. Oh, someone liked my picture of me searching for Leelanol stones or whatever it is. Why didn't someone comment on it? Oh, what, you know, what was that, you know. Do you see how this just exasperates this issue of uh, unhealthy desire for approval? The Proverbs frames, frames this as, as a fear of, of men or fear of man. And we see the implication. It becomes a snare because if we fear man over the fear of the Lord, then it paralyzes us from ever offering a word that's important to challenge. You have someone you love and, and you, you need to say, dude, I love you, but what's going on here? That, that desire for approval makes it hard to do that. Or it makes it hard for us to stand up for justice when, when the order of this world is off and not in line with God. Like, don't rock the boat. Keep the peace. That's kind of the rule. And for me, like, if I'm just honest, like, that is one that has my heart. Instead, we are to be guided by a fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord, as we've talked about this summer. That's the first one, approval. The second disorder desire, Comfort. Again, I think this one is particularly convicting for us when we live such comfortable lives. Like, we're so blessed to be in a country where we have so many luxuries and things afforded to us. Proverbs 20 says this, Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. 
Proverbs 21, verse 17 says this, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Again, in our modern culture, pleasure, comfort, security is king. Like so often that's what our culture, like in the United States particularly, we, we worship these things, right? Most folks long for a comfortable life. Like that makes sense. But when that desire becomes the primary driving force in our lives, it becomes like a snare that entraps us. Because if we're obsessed with becoming comfortable or being comfortable, you know what that does? That keeps other people at, at arm's reach. It keeps us detached and distant from others. Because if, if my primary goal is to remain comfortable, I don't want to get too close because when you start suffering, that's going to make me feel uncomfortable and I'm going to have to deal with that suffering. Do you see how this is not in line with the way God calls us to live? Other interesting thing about the Proverbs here, the Proverbs suggest leisure and love of pleasure will lead to poverty, which, you know, is a good word for hard work and commitment. But in our context, it's actually those of us with a little more means and wealth that actually have the margin to indulge in leisure and extravagant pleasures. So it's also a word for us who, who maybe are working hard, but, but how, you know, we talked about this last week, like living for the weekend or living for that next vacation, like, it's important. This is a word of challenge. And then the connection uh, to, uh, to wine and chemical dependencies, that remains true. That one's pretty obvious. But uh, in that verse about olive oil, in the ancient world, olive oil was actually used as a cosmetic. So you'd put olive oil on your face to make your skin look, look youthful. And so it's actually a word that kind of expands this. Uh, whenever we become obsessed with, with comfort, leisure, or even beauty in our outward appearance, what does that do? It, help, it, may, it causes us to lose focus and perspective on what truly matters, which is not those things. It's the kingdom of God in breaking into this world. Comfort. The third disorder, desire. Power. Power. Proverbs eleven sixteen. A kind-hearted woman gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. The wise prevail through great power. Those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war. Victory is won through many advisors. Here the warning is around that desire or that unhealthy thirst for power or influence. Now, now we live in a unique time in history, right? We live in a, in a democracy, which is a beautiful thing. But what that means is that each of us have a voice uh, in those who govern us we call it politics, right? That's a, pretty, that's a really unique thing in human history. It's a beautiful thing, but when it becomes the ultimate thing, it leads down some pretty dangerous paths. And I think we've seen it play out in the last handful of years, right? Our politics has increasingly become polarized and vindictive, in our politics, it, it seems dialogue has completely deteriorated between two sides. It seems like in our, in our politics, character has, has slowly deteriorated away and almost become optional. Instead, the mantra in politics in our country has become win at all costs. It's become an ultimate thing, and that is a dangerous place to be. 
Because if it's win at all costs, if the other side has become so demonized that we can justify any way we can to win, we've strayed far off the path. This is where it's important. Proverbs speaks against, this is what Proverbs is speaking against when contrasting the kind-hearted woman, a woman of noble character, right, and, this, and ruthless men, men who lack any kind of character. That'll get you wealth, but it will not bring honor and respect. Are you with me? The lust for power has led so many astray. And again, social media platforms has, has contributed to this. With the onset of the share button, we can just share things that we haven't double checked. And, and it creates this illusion that we have more power and more influence than we really have, and we can become obsessed with it. In fact, something that's fascinating is you, I, this is just, I'm, I'm remembering this, so I don't have the, the, da- the actual numbers in front of me, but there was a poll that was done, and they were asking young people what they want to be when they grow up. And, and so for so long, it was like doctor or, you know, whatever, all these, you know, professions. One of the top answers nowadays is to be an influencer. To be a social media, like, influencer. Like, I want to influence my, pe- I want to influence people. There's also a lot of money in that, but, but that's just kind of a telling thing. Like, this thirst for power and influence. Proverbs offers a relevant and important warning toward making these things ultimate in our lives. Because again, when we're obsessed with these kingdoms, we lose perspective on the kingdom of God, which is breaking in by the power of the Spirit today. Power. The fourth one. Fourth disorder, desire. Control. Control. Proverbs 27, verse 1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Isn't that so true? We don't know what tomorrow will actually hold. But again, living where we do Like there's this illusion that we have more control over our lives and circumstances than we actually do. And when life is going smoothly, right, when life is going smoothly, when when we're enjoying the things of this life and we're we're putting away things here and and I got my money over here that's kind of, you know, I'm I'm kind of in control and I'm, I'm shielding myself from certain things. Like it creates this illusion of control, but then something comes and rocks our world completely and that fantasy crumbles to the ground. And we realize we're not in control. Now here's the fascinating thing. Throughout history, usually, or at least the history of my life, usually that would happen kind of in an individual or a family uh, at a time. Like a fam, you know, your family's rocked by something or this family's rocked by something different. And it's all kind of ebbing and flowing different seasons. Last two years with COVID, that all happened to all of us at the same time. In the world that we knew that we could have some kind of control, suddenly things aren't operating the way we thought, and we all were in this frenzy to regain control. This like shared human trauma brought anxiety and fear and this desperation to regain control. A lot of it was about control, and it happened to all of us at the same time. It was, a, it was a fen- a, this crazy phenomenon. And in our efforts to regain control, what, is it, what did it lead us to do? Like for some of us, it's like to get control, I got to just, I got to research, I got to read the news, I got to know exactly what's happening because if I, if I kind of know what's happening, well, then I kind of feel like I'm, I'm in control. Or for some, like what's that magical treatment and we're, what is that? What is the answer? How do we get out of this? Right? Or data and facts for some. For others, we play the blame game. 
Because if I can blame whose fault this is, then I know who to attack and go after to get things back the way they're supposed to be. It's all about control. And it led to, it led to some pretty dark places for, for so many in our midst, right? Even today, as we look at our world and there's instability and we're like, what's going on in the world? There's wars over here. and uh, right, it, It's still, we, the greatest nightmare for those of us who crave control, and all of us do on a certain level, but the greatest fear is uncertainty and instability. When I don't know what's going to happen next and I don't know how, what I can do to prevent that from happening or to fix it, control. Four common disordered desires. Approval, comfort, power, and control. Here's the question. Allow the Spirit to just speak to you. Maybe not just in this next few moments. Maybe ponder this today or this week. Maybe have conversations around the lunch table or dinner table. Like, Which of these desires do you find that your heart craves the most? Because it's when we understand and we can recognize where our, our heart's desires are off, that's when, when we can start praying more directly for the Spirit to offer and to change our lives and our hearts, to desire Him above all things. Which of these do my, des- my heart crave the most? Here's the good news. We want some good news, right? Whew, that was a lot. <laughs> The good news is the gospel offers an alternative narrative, an alternative worldview. Like this, this narrative, this paradigm of our world that says that, that, we, that we just need to live according to the cravings and desires of our heart, that, that, that our heart is the ultimate purveyor of truth and wisdom in this world. The gospel offers a different story. We, we see the error in our kids when they obsess over things that, that lead them astray, or we see it in ourselves when we obsess over things like sports or, or Leland Blues or other things. But Scripture refers, again, that, that, that following our heart's desires is not freedom, but it's becoming a slave to sin. Paul gives us an alternative, and that is a life guided by the Spirit, modeled after Jesus Christ. Paul writes again, Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. It's about freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That's a radically different story. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Stark contrast to following your heart's desires. He goes on to contract the acts of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what he writes about the fruit of the Spirit starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What Paul is doing is leading, leaning into the gospel witness of Jesus Christ. Where what the flesh and the sinful desires and passions long for, those things have been crucified with Christ so that we are now set free to live in the Spirit. And what does it mean to live in step with the Spirit? It's to follow the example of Jesus Christ. 
Do you remember Jesus' ministry, his life, his teaching? He's, he's journeying into Jerusalem. He's, he's, he's on the road to Calvary, and he stops in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he offers this honest and real prayer to his Father in heaven, basically saying, God, is there another way? Is there another way? The human flesh doesn't want to be crucified on the cross. But what did Jesus say? Your will, not mine. Jesus Christ's love compelled him to deny what the flesh desires and to walk a path of self-giving, self-sacrificing love. Do we see the difference? To follow our hearts, to follow our passions, at its core is a selfish, self-persevering journey. It's all about me and getting what I want. And the path of Jesus Christ stands in stark contrast. It's about giving up of myself for the sake of others. As Jesus Christ himself said, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. <laughs> and it's so countercultural, but friends, that is true freedom. That is life. And that is where we see the kingdom of God breaking into our reality and changing things that we see around us by the power of the Spirit at work in and through his people. Let's pray and ask God to help us in this. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the radical, the upside-down, counter-cultural message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, our world tells us, and, and Lord, we, we turn on a TV or we open our phone and there's all kinds of ads that are affirming this message that follow your heart. You deserve this. You should do this because it's all about you. And yet the gospel tells us a whole different story. That it's all about you, Lord Jesus. It's all about your kingdom that you will come one day to fully establish, but in this moment is breaking in. Lord God, we pray that as your people, as the church of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to deny ourselves, to walk in step with the Spirit, to walk the way of Jesus Christ so that people are impacted, not just for a moment here on earth, but for all eternity. Lord, may we live in radical love for our neighbor in the way that you've called us to live. By the power of the Spirit at work in us, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And God's people say together, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh 
now go with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Oh